Tim Hunzey, partner of Parallel Music Publishing and board member of the Nashville Association of Independent Music Publishers. Thanks for listening to the Nashville Pubcast. On this episode of the Nashville Pubcast, we have Randall Foster, Senior Director, Creative Sync and Licensing for Olay. All right, so knock it out. This is well, here we are with Randall Foster, and we are going to talk about sync licensing today. So, Randall, you want to give us a little background about yourself? Sure. My name is Randall Foster. I am Senior Director, Creative Sync and Licensing for Olay Music Publishing. It's a and, mouthful. Uh, it is. It is. It's a, it's a long one. My business card is actually seven inches long. <laughs> uh, so, so I've been at Olay four years now. We've had some, some wonderful successes and, and really have, have built a department there that uh, we are very proud of. Prior to that, I was at a company called Naxos, which is a distributor and believe it or not, the largest record label in classical music worldwide, um, based out of Franklin, Tennessee. And I handled all licensing and business development there. And so I came to publishing from a label distribution mindset, which I think was interesting. It gave me some some very interesting perspective on, on Olay and on the publishing space at large, especially with regards to sync. Man, I got to say, I know that in the past few years, sync has become like the hot word in music publishing, especially with sales declining. People are looking for alternative uh, uh, income streams. And it seems like everybody wants to be all about sync. But I think there's a lot of confusion on what that really looks like. So let's start with some, like what it exactly is sync licensing at, at its core. Well, sync is, is actually a shortened term from synchronization, which is literally synchronizing music with moving picture. And so if you start at the very core of what it is, it's the act of putting music on top of picture uh, on video typically, which would be now either streamed or shown on TV or or uh, in a movie theater, et cetera, et cetera. But um, so sync is just the shortened term. And so sync for us is basically anytime someone wants to use our music and set it to a video. Now that's whether it's a regular video, whether it's a video game, um, any kind of captured footage with music over it becomes a sync license and needs a license. And, uh, and so that's where we come in. The interesting thing about sync versus mechanicals and other licenses that uh, people have to get for the usage of our music is there are no rules with regards to sync fees. I love that. that. You guys get to negotiate. It is, it is open market. It's the free market economy, um, for better and for worse, because it means that in some cases people can come and cut your feet out from under you, um, or give music away for free in hopes that they'll make performance royalties on the back end. It also means, however, that if you're sitting on a hot property, the sky's the limit fees wise. And, uh, and that's an exciting proposition. Can you give me a little bit, because I know there's different kind of uses within sync, uh, and explain, like, uh, there's feature, there's trailer, there's background. You don't have to get super detailed if you don't want all that, but I, I know that there's different ones, and each one kind of comes with its own value, correct? Yeah. They, I mean, the, the, the value is really what the market will bear for any particular use. Um, fees vary depending on the usage. Um, you know, a, a main title for a, for a film is a very large payday. It's a great payday because those films have great budgets. If that same film wants to use music as part of a trailer, 
that is a separate use, which is also typically a very big payday um, because that's a marketing budget. And it's not the film music budget. It's the marketing budget. Television tends to pay a little bit less depending on the usage, depending on the network. Um, now, of course, is the wild, wild west and that we our networks are digital and virtual and we are looking at Netflix as a network and Amazon as a network and um, Hulu as a network. And so all of these different um, entities and, and players in the game have set kind of internal standards to what they pay for music. Um, by and large, they're pretty much lined up. Um, you know, there are folks that pay less than others. Um, and we know that going into it. So, you know, whether or not to pitch that marquee song for that opportunity, um, depending on who you're talking to and what the opportunity is. Most of the searches that we deal with, we start out with some sort of a budget. So they come to us and they say, Hey, we want to, we want music for, <clears throat> for this television show. It's just going to be a source cue from within the show. We don't have a big budget. You know, we've got about five grand all in. What can you do? And we know that for five grand, we should definitely not pitch Justin Timberlake right. <laughs> or, right. or other mega superstars because it, you know, it's, it's just not going to be worth anybody's time, um, especially when the answer at the end of the day will most likely be no. And so we go into each and every pitch with that knowledge so that we can you know, deliver music that hopefully they, they like for the creative in the, in the spot, but that is also clearable because we have to keep in mind that in most songs, we're not the only people saying yes or no. You know, in, in you know, typical Nashville fashion, we usually have, you know, up to what, two, three co-writers on every song, typically two or three publishers on every song. And so everybody has to play nice in the sandbox. Now, would you say, because you touched on it, that there seems to be more networks, as you mentioned, like, well, again, with Netflix and Hulu and Amazon Prime, and they're all creating their own content. Does that mean that there's more out there to uh, to participate in, like the more pitches, or is it about the same still in general? I think music, I think, and this is across the board, if you, if you were to do research on it, I think music is being consumed at a higher rate today than ever in the history of man. And I think that applies to all uses of music, whether it be, <clears throat> you know, listening to it on streaming radio or sync uses in network television, depending on what your definition of a network is. You know, there's more networks today than certainly than there was when I was a kid. I've got 300 channels, you know, on my, on my cable that I watch about four of. Right. Right. <laughs> and so, and so, um, you know, I think there's more opportunity than there's ever been in the history of time for music, especially music set to picture. I also have to come in on the flip side of that and say, with that opportunity comes a bigger varying budget. I was going to say, is the value, is that decreased value a little bit because there's so much more use? I I have seen in, in the time I've paid attention to sync, I have seen kind of a slow and steady march down in fees, Um, which of course with the rate of inflation and everything else in our world that's getting more expensive by the day is disparaging to say the least. But, um, you know, there still are great 
uses that garner great fees. Um, but there are also a lot of briefs that come across the desk where you look at it and you go, I really can't, I really can't afford to go after that because I've got these other six that are worth so much more to me and to my company, to my writers than that. And so right. it's, it's really a juggling act. Now, one of the things I know just from my limited uh, knowledge of sync, because it's never been an area that I've I've uh, been this have been one of my strengths necessarily as a publisher, is that in my market they usually go, I need a Trace Atkins song, you know Trace Atkins. But it seems in sync music that they come at you with more moods, emotions as opposed to the actual content of the song. Correct? Very much so. Um, you know, there's any adjective you can use to name music has has come through in a brief from from someone at some time um most music supervisors are really thoughtful in their briefs though and 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 take the time to really distill down what it is they're trying to get out of the music and so it'll be you know i need a need a pop song from the 1980s with female vocals that's mid to up tempo um that could be danced to you know would be a a typical brief or sometimes we get more kind of you know, more amorphic briefs where it's, there's no, there's really no time frame put into it. It's, you know, I need a female vocal from something that's very hip, um, you know, very up-tempo, something that is like these bands. And they'll list two or three different hot bands that to them at that moment represent the music that they want. And in a lot of cases, those are bands that are really successful sync bands that have gotten to be very expensive for syncs. And so what they're trying to do is come up with a, not, not a sound alike per se, but come up with something that will fill the gap for that band without having to come up with the budget to pay for it. Let's jump back because I like the creative side more myself personally. We we talked about you know the briefs and stuff. Is there tends to be certain themes that tend to run throughout, uh, get popular or whatnot, or, or uh, broad use kind of styles that people look for in sync? We get uh, you, you know it's interesting. People kind of imprint on bands from time to time, and like I remember ten, like eight ten years ago, everything was the Black Keys. Sound just like the Black Keys. Remember that period of time. And if you listen to advertising or television at that moment in time, they were everywhere. I mean, they were murdering it. Um, You know, so they'll latch into bands and styles of bands that they like. But um, that's not as prevalent as you know. There are some there are some certain things that are always consistent throughout the music. A word that we keep hearing over and over and over, and that make most people in sync's eyes roll is swagger. Songs with swagger. Yeah, explain that. What is that? Well, swagger. I mean, if you think about it, you know, you know, when you, if you set a scene where 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 your protagonist walks through the door and struts up to the bar, you know, and you set music behind that, and and this guy or gal is 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 just badass. They're just they are the bee's knees, and you've got to set that mood without them saying a word and without really knowing anything about it. You lay something down under them that's stompy, 
that that comes in with some some real attitude and that that attitude turns into swagger um in sync parlance <clears throat> it, it sets that scene and so so swagger is one that um is really popular and in you know like a good example would be um there's a song called what makes a good man by the heavy if you listen to that song that's swagger okay it's, it's like it's like it's like you don't even need to say a word. You don't you don't even really need to look at the character. You hear the song, you go, "Oh yeah, all right, here they are." Um, but swagger's big. Anthemic music is always going to be big, um, and I don't mean like 1980s rock anthems. I mean like anthemic, victorious songs that you know songs that you hear and 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 you picture running across that finish line. You know, and you, you, you probably have writers who've turned stuff in and you listen to it and you're nodding your head at the end and you got a smile on your face and it's like, it's go time, you know? Um, but anthemic songs are, are really, really big. One of my biggest stories on that, that I, I, I still remember this day. I remember going in the back room and Jesse Alexander and John maybe just finished this song and they were playing it for us. And we all at the same time said, man, this would be great for a movie. It was a little song called the climb ended up being in a movie and was huge and was a big uh, money maker and a big sink for us as well. And that was, uh, it doesn't happen that often for me, but that, that to me is when I started learning what the, the sink really likes bigger themes. Like you said, it's just, it's a, it's a feel and a, and a generalness that, but everybody can attach to. Well, and that's what it is. It's about, you know, people ask me all the time, how do I write better for sync? And like, I was going to ask you that question. And there's, you know, and the thing is, there's not a secret. If there was a secret recipe, you know, those of us that know the secret recipe would all be living in mansions on a desert island somewhere. Um, you know, it's a, it's a feeling. It's a, it's a, it's, it's a style unto itself. It's not really, <clears throat> you know, you can't go. You know what? If you change that chord right there, that would make that a good sync song. That doesn't play out well. Um, you know, but what I tell everybody is that you know what we're trying to get to and, and ascertain in music that we utilize in a scene um, that typically you only hear 20, 30 seconds of music. You're not going to hear four minutes of song build with a storyline. Like we have like country music songwriters are the greatest storytellers in the history of time. I'm convinced uh, they tell stories better than anybody ever. However, sometimes you don't have time to hear the whole story. So you really want to get to what's the meat of this you know, what's the, what's the feeling? What's the underlying visceral human emotion in this song in 30 seconds, not in three minutes? And if you can get to the point and make the point and have the point be sticky enough that it stays in people's heads, that's the key to success there. And that's, and that's you know, it's one of those things that's capturing lightning in a jar. Because a lot of people don't know when they've done it. You know, I've met a lot of track guys who can make great stompy swagger tracks, you know. But to be able to do that and drop the correct lyric on it to capture that emotion is tough. It's tough. It's, it, it, and it might, be, it might be harder than writing the hit country song. Because with a hit country song, you've got three verses to build the story. And you've got your pay your payoff at the end, you know, and you've got a great bridge somewhere in there. And with sync songs, most of those key core elements to songs that we all, as students of music, as students of songs, have looked at, you know, trying to analyze our music for years, most of those really key core elements are secondary to the overall emotion of the song.
Thanks for listening to the Nashville AIMP Pubcast. For more information, check out AIMP.org or follow us at Nashville AIMP on Instagram. The Nashville AIMP would like to give a shout out to our sponsors, Jamber and SoundExchange. Jamber wants to know if you're looking for an easier way to capture song splits at the point of creation and organizing your catalog. Jamber is our podcast sponsor, and they are offering listeners a first look at their songwriter and publisher apps that allow songwriters to collaborate when inspiration strikes. Go to jamber.com forward slash AIMP to sign up today. SoundExchange develops business solutions for the entire music industry. They collect and distribute royalties on behalf of more than 155,000 recording artists, master right owners, and music publishers. SoundExchange have paid out more than $5 billion in royalties. SXWorks serves the licensing and administration needs of music publishers around the world and operates CMRRA, which represents music publishers and administers mechanical rights for the majority of songs recorded, sold, and broadcast in Canada. We appreciate you listening to the Nashville Pubcast. Stay tuned for an all-new episode next week.